Hello and a warm collegiate YYC. Welcome to my guest this morning, Miss Jerry Greenall. How are you doing, Jerry? Good, thank you. So good to come on. You and I have known each other indirectly for many, many, many years through our shared friend, Miss Cindy Gray. But we won't go down that rabbit hole. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I just, I love Calgary. It's one degree of separation. Um, I think my wife shares an office wall with you. But through all that, Calgary conspired. We got connected and uh, shared. Uh, a passion for community and what's happening and the ability to do better. So that's what that episode's about today. Just to set the stage, you are Chief Financial Officer at Spartan Delta Corp. You've been in the energy energy industry for how long? Do I really have to say that a lot, Tyler? <laughs> you don't, you don't, no. Longer <laughs> than five, a, less than 30? <laughs> yeah, exactly. In the 2-8, uh, yeah, 25-ish kind of years now, so. Okay, fantastic. And always in on the financial side of the house? I uh, bounced around quite a bit, started actually at Enron, which is another story in a rabbit hole we can Ooh, go down the, the, some I've, other day. Wait, wait, pause. That's a whole other. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So commodity trading, uh, which finance. So I have a finance background, graduated at the University of Calgary, and then bounced around mostly on what we call the buy side. So the investment side. So doing a lot of early stage investing in, or sorry, investing in early stage energy companies. Um, and then in December, 2019, I, like you said, community in Calgary got a random phone call that said, hey, would you consider being the CFO of a publicly recapped entity? And I was like, sure, I'm always open to new ideas and then became the CFO of Spartan Delta. Amazing. Just just say yes and we'll, and we'll, and we'll see how it works. And that, yeah. is, that is often how, how Calgary works. Uh, you and I kind of got connected around classroom champions. Let's kind of, let's get right into it. Steve Messler, I met Steve, I had him on the show for anyone who hasn't listened to the episode, episode 286. Great episode. Very, very inspiring. But how long have you, like, we'll talk a little bit about Classroom Champions, but that's not really what we're about. If you want to learn about that, go check them out. But when did you first, when did Classroom Champions and what they're all about get on your radar? How long ago? Oh, uh, I first met Steve through a gentleman I worked with uh, here at Spartan. He brought him in uh, probably in June of 2021. Yeah. Okay. So, so just, 2021. Just, fairly recently in the, in the yeah. world of, of this history of things. Yeah, it was. Yeah. And he brought him, he brought Steve in and I heard Steve's story and what Steve was offering um, with social emotional learning and the curriculum he delivers to the kids. And I instantly resonated with them. So I have a fairly long and uh, relationship on the philanthropy and giving back time, which I started doing when I was in university almost and had had exposure to, um, I'd sat on the discovery house uh, board for seven years and had exposure to children who have experienced trauma and the type of skills that these kids need to be able to change their lives. And so when I met Steve and he said social emotional learning, it instant I instantly was like, this is something that's proactive versus reactive. And if we can get to these kids early in their uh, development, so K to eight type schools, you can really change the trajectory of their lives, particularly in lower socioeconomic type environments and kids that have some sort of trauma. And trauma doesn't need to be like a car accident type trauma. It's anything they witness or are exposed to as kids. So COVID, I would actually argue, is a fairly significant trauma that most of our children have faced. And so, yeah, I met Steve in June 2021, resonated, and we kind of kept in touch. And in June 2022, I hosted a lunch to bring Steve in with about a hundred other women in town and heard the story and thought this is something the energy industry can really get behind and help. Um, I think mitigate a, a coming mental health crisis we could see from uh, kids in rural areas due to COVID. I really appreciate that. I actually, I love what you said. I don't want to, we're not going to have an episode about trauma. But I was listening to um, the body keeps score the other day. I was on a long road trip. So I had a lot of audio, a lot of windshield time. 
<clears throat> and they actually were able to tie back, it was a researcher in Montreal that tied back to women that were actually pregnant during the ice storm and for how long they were locked down without access to power and heat in the middle of winter is actually now showing up as learning disabilities in those children as they're getting to six and seven years old or eight years. I forget the timeline for the, um, for the study, but they're older now, but they were able to track it back, even experiencing trauma in the womb. And that just kind of blew me away from the concept of, we think of trauma, I tended to think about it as these big kind of monumental traumatic events, but it became, really it's anything emotionally that you weren't able to process at that time of your life. And at four or five, six years old, we, we're not that equipped to process a lot of what we might encounter. So I think it's just really powerful to understand trauma doesn't have to be something big and, 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 and have a high magnitude to actually have a negative impact on that individual. Absolutely. That and When I was on the Discovery House board, I had the good fortune of sitting with a researcher who introduced what they called ACEs, so adverse childhood experiences, which is like what you said, they can be anything from womb to up. And it's not just the emotional experience that is also, there's a there's a biochemistry, like there's an adrenaline rush or those sorts of things. And that changes a child. So they have to be able to then have the skills to be able to like... Uh, relegate their emotions and deal with those sorts of things on a go forward. So this type of social and emotional learning curriculum that Classroom Champions offers helps these kids. I love it. Do you want to give a little bit like we're in the elevator. I go, Hey, Jerry, I hear you're involved with classroom champions. What's that? What's that all about? What's what, how would you describe that in your words? Oh, okay. Uh, elevator pitch. Here we <laughs> I go. Just, I just put you on the spot. I did. I did. <laughs> no, it's good. So like I said, uh, you guys have the background on Steve and how I met him. So in September of last year, I, you know, I'd given it a lot of thought on how do I help this organization? Uh, I'm passionate also about the energy industry and really proud of our industry. We do some incredible things as an industry um, and take responsibility for the communities that we don't always get credit for. We understand we're disruptive in the communities we operate in and we try to give back a lot. This was something um, I thought, geez, we can go to the industry if all of the companies collaborate together and we pool our funds, we can get this curriculum delivered to every school in every area we operate. So that's what we did. Um, I approached uh, Tristan Goodman, who is the uh, executive director of EPAC, and asked him if he would let me have an audience at EPAC. So EPAC is the uh, you're, I'm going to get this acronym wrong, Tyler. So you're going to have to correct <laughs> I'm gonna it have later. To, I'm going to have to power Google this. As <laughs> yeah, I'm, you're going to have to power yeah. Google it. Okay. It's the uh, it's the association that that of the smaller sized. Um, so not the CNQs and the Suncors of the worlds, but the Headwaters, the Spartans, the Tourmalines. It's the Exploration Producers Association Council. I think I'm, I should know Explorers that. Explorers and Producers Associations of Canada. Canada. I yeah, should know that because no, I'm it's going all good. on the teamwork. This board, is teamwork so. here. I, I have a second screen. It's, I, I have a good. Place to do research. Thank you for that. Yeah, I'm going on the EPAC board. Anyways, so Tristan let us, Steve and I pitch to every, so most of the producers in town are on the EPAC board. So we pitched to them in September. Um, and then I, we've been in front of almost every energy company in the basin since then. I am thrilled to say that we have commitments of over $3 million. The goal was $4 million. That includes 18 committed companies today with five or six that'll probably are in the pipeline, pun, in, pun intended. <laughs> pun intended, please. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, by the end of the month and the campaign will continue. So, uh, we've put together, it's called Energize Communities. So you'll start to see at the end of of March, maybe early, mid-April, we'll have some social media push for it to give the energy industry the recognition they deserve. It's incredible. I fundamentally believe the government will actually get to delivering this curriculum in schools themselves. Uh, the U.S. actually does it. They put it under their... Um, 
health classrooms is this sort of learning type stuff. Canada's a bit behind it. So like we do in the energy industry, we're going to help accept our corporate responsibility and do what the government should be doing and uh, provide it to the kids in the schools and then uh, let the teachers get educated on how to deliver it and go from there. I love it. So three million, the goals for what's the, is there, a, is there an end date or is there like a campaign day where like we were going to be at four by such? And obviously it sounds like it is gone as well or better than expected. How yeah. we, like what's that gap between the three and four look like? Well, I will get there. It's not, there isn't an end date because children are continuous and as is education is continuous. What my goal is or my hope is, is that these energy companies will get into some of these more rural areas that we operate in and see the impact it has to the community. This is actually, you know, we talk about ESG a lot in uh, our industry. This is sustainability because sustainability is, is investing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, this is this is the S. This the, uh, the S in ESG is social, but this is the sustain the ESG yeah. for sustainability well, sometimes investing. The, sometimes the S is a bit undef- is is tricky to define. I've been having some yes. conversations. What, what do they? What do we actually mean? Are we meaning healthy of the individuals, health of communities? Like wh- where does that go? So I've had some conversations recently where that's a very it's it's loosely defined depending who you talk to. It's been my experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's so for me, this is a generational investment. So you're investing in kids in K-8 and it, I'm hoping that these the goal is, is that these this will be a long term type thing. So there is no end to the campaign. It's something that I think the energy industry, um, knowing this industry and how charitable we are and how much philanthropy and uh, community commitments we already do, that this will continue on. So the commitments we've made from the companies are three-year commitments. Okay. So everybody has signed a contract to contribute to Classroom Champions for three years to make sure that this curriculum is firmly rooted in the schools in the rural areas which we operate. So it gives them, it gives Classroom Champions some longevity at, to be able to help introduce it in the districts, help do some uh, government relations. So it gives them a runway to help provide it. The other well, thing that- I, I like what you said. N- none of this is a one and done. This is an ongoing, continuous process of as children move through the different ages and kind of different uh, layers of the school system as well. This isn't like, hey, we did a program, everybody, pat each other on the back, we're good. This is about being in for the long haul, right? To really create Abs- change. Absolutely. And it, it's about providing kids. These are the skills that the kids need. Like, and I love this. I'm going to steal it from uh, Steve. He said, you know, when you're in an organization, do you hire somebody to come in and teach uh, your staff remedial math? or, you know, those sorts of things. No, I, love it. You, I love that example when he lays yeah, it out. Yeah, <laughs> you hire somebody in to teach communication skills, to teach goal setting, how to be great leaders. That's what this curriculum teaches these kids at that age. And then they use athletes as the hooks to really engage the students, which is proven model that works. So it's just, the it was a perfect charity for the industry because we are operating in those rural areas and we do want to give back to the communities. And this is a sustainable investment in the next generation. I invest as an energy company. Am I writing checks? Am I showing up? Am I attending events? Am I getting involved? Or my people getting to see? Always curious. Like, and again, money. We, we need to we need to drive the machine, and funds do that. But I'm curious, what layers are involved? Like, through your commitment, is this something that I announce at a town hall as an energy company that we're doing, or do my people get to get involved? Like, where's the balance of dollars versus time and participation? 
Uh, it, it's unique to every company and depends on okay. what they want, but I'm going to give mm-hmm. you our experience. So Spartan Delta, we have uh, levels, gold, silver, and bronze, Olympic athlete. Uh, Spartan is a gold sponsor, so we hosted a town hall for all of our employees. Uh, Steve came in, brought an athlete with him who is a mentor and participating in Classroom Champions. Uh, we interviewed a teacher that has been deploying this curriculum in her school in Drayton Valley for 10 years, oh, and wow. I, we had a you know town hall type environment for 40 minutes and with all of our staff to engage them. It's important to me too that our staff understand this and not only from the charity aspect, but everybody, like, lots of people in our staff have tiny humans as I like to call kids <laughs> and uh, uh, it's good that curriculum. That they are. For, <laughs> yes. It's great curriculum for parents to understand too, right? Like, you know, it's the learning lessons on this is it's goal setting, it's resilience, it's healthy eating habits. It's all the pieces that we don't, we just take for granted that our children learn through Jerry, osmosis. are you telling me that you know some adults that maybe need some social and emotional <laughs> learning training? I would never say that out loud, Tyler. Come on. <laughs> I'm saying present company included. Like I'm not excluding anyone from that from 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 that from that list. Back to, you know, we all maybe were given something we had to deal with at an age that we weren't able to process it and it's just been tucked away in the vault. <laughs> Secret, it never stays in the vault. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then yeah. the other thing that we uh, we are doing is for those so we will host um, community events at the yeah. schools with this. So there's projects that they do as part of the curriculum and the oil and gas or the energy companies will have the opportunity for employees to go out, whether it's a barbecue, they can flip burgers, you bring in the parents so you get to interact. So it is a, it can be as hands-on and as involved as you want it, or it could just be a check and a donation depending on where okay. you are. I'll okay. tell you, most of the energy companies want to be involved. Crescent Point has been doing this for 10 years in Saskatchewan and um, they oh, host an event every year that the employees and their staff all know about the classroom champions and are quite passionate about it. Well, so you know, again, we don't have to go much like we want to have a sense of purpose. We want to feel we're connected to outcomes as just as humans, let alone as employees. Like first, we're humans first, kind of employees second, or however you want to do mm-hmm. that. Just I was curious about how companies were using it to kind of pull through to really feel like, oh, wow, the work I'm connected with is connected to this and, and you know, where that lands because helping kids, that's never, that's never a bad idea. <laughs> that's ne- there's never a point that that doesn't work. Um, 18 companies. Uh, in your experience, has this been unifying in a way that maybe other initiatives haven't? Like, I appreciate you, Crescent Point does this here and then Spartan does this over there. It feels like you're getting some universal buy-in. Like, I, I don't have to do my own unique thing. This is great. We're all going to get behind it to really push it. Has this had a unifying force to it a little bit? Yes. And I would say that was one of the the uh, strings I pulled on when I approached the CEOs mm. is that often we're competitors in this basin as well. So this gives us the ability to really collaborate and participate together as a unifying force. And the, again, economies Mm -hmm. of scale of us pooling our funds and then the, um, public relations piece of it is us doing it as an energy industry to show the rest of Canadians like we aren't the villains out there we are contributing to our communities we do a lot of good for this country and trying to amplify that together is amazing so yeah it has been unifying it's been lots of fun and for I'm extremely fortunate and grateful that I have a network so I've been able to contact most of the CEOs and CFOs around town so that's been really fun so when you walk into an event where we're all at everybody's talking about it 
Oh, I love it. And, why, and you had the Rolodex, quote unquote, <laughs> dating myself to be able to do that. <laughs> Never owned a Rolodex, <laughs> but somehow the metaphor just holds together for me every time. I know. <laughs> never, never owned the big wheel of, 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 <clears throat> of index cards. Uh, have you seen more? And now we're just talking about the industry a little bit. I've heard this from other people, so I want to get your perspective because you've been into it for 10 plus 20, 20 years. Um, that willingness to kind of come together to solve bigger problems as a unit versus as individual competitors. I've heard that that's gotten a lot. Some of those doors are a lot more open than they were even five or 10 years ago. Is that your, is that your reality? Is that true? Or is that maybe just some idealism I've heard? No, that's definitely true. And, uh, this is another rabbit hole. I'm also involved in an organization uh, called Canada action, which I got involved with in 2017, I think to start with, which is an advocacy group for, uh, the energy industry, trying to help educate Canadians on what the energy, uh, industry actually means to Canadian and, and your local prosperity. And, uh, the energy industry really came together for the first time in my experience mm. in that organization. So that pulled on again, all the energy companies in the basin to help us unify our voice and our message on the benefits of, uh, the energy industry to Canada and that we are, I mean, if, we're going to have a reliance on hydrocarbon till the future. We all care about the environment. The energy industry does it itself, but the last barrel of oil should be produced in Canada. We operate. Oh, you took you took it words right out of my mouth, Jerry. <laughs> nice. Yeah, I, and I'm. I love very that. I love passionate. that line. I love that line so much. Yeah, it's, I'm passionate about it. We operate under the highest environmental standards in the world. Those barrels are coming out of the ground. We care about the environment. The industry here is leading the way on carbon capture and new technologies to reduce GHGs. And then when you want to go down the ESG part and you look at the S and the G, there is no better country in the world. Would you rather have your barrel come out of Saudi Arabia or Canada? That should be an easy answer. And then Canadians need to understand what it does to their own prosperity and standard of living. We live in a massive country that is cold, really cold right now in <laughs> right Calgary. Now especially, yeah. And you have to heat your home. And it, you just, we take it for granted that that's what the energy industry provides you. You flip the switch and you get electricity. And the other common fallacy I like to say is we need to understand electricity is a form of energy. It is not a source of energy. So you still need to create that form somehow. And that's an important distinction because we're moving to this, you know, electrify everything. Well, that still has to be generated somehow. And hydrocarbons are an important part of that. No, no. Food comes from the grocery store and electricity <laughs> comes from the plug, right? It's kind of that same thing as we become so disconnected from the material world that we, that we, that we, that we live in. But Canada being the type of country that it is, and you're right, it's really easy to be, I don't know, uh, limited in your thinking when you have energy abundance, <laughs> when the light switch works every time. It is. And it, the other the other misconception in Canada is when we look at our GHGs as a country, one of the reasons we have, and I mean, we're de minimis in the world scale, like China and India are the two biggest of cons on the consumer side. But the reason why Canada has the GHGs we do is because we live in a vast country where you like you live in rural, you have to drive in to get your groceries <laughs> yeah. and it's cold. So you have to heat your home somehow. So that's a an important part of understanding uh, our energy consumption in this country. Yeah, which 
That's a big, I've done some work with, we've done some work, I think probably around the same 20 nights with Canada Action. So very familiar and did some work with them around getting the message into central Canada, specifically in Toronto and run some surveys and saw some of the feedback. And that's been a few years now. I haven't chatted with Cody for, for a while. Are you seeing from your vantage point or even maybe just in the financial markets, we'll pick that, a different understanding or maybe a better understanding of what's happening in the energy sector, whether it happens to be in Alberta or Western Canada or wherever it is, Canada-wide. Are we are we getting a little bit more? Because I understand over the last couple of years, things have shifted a little bit where the diff- there's different drums being beat on than there was even three years ago the narrative is definitely changing and it's really unfortunate that a, a world crisis and a war had to had to bring that to the forefront unfortunately um so the idea of energy scarcity and, and energy security is being talked about a bit on the financial market side we're still not seeing the capital come back to canada um you know our I, and I don't want to turn this into a political podcast and I'm not political in nature, but our government uh, out of Toronto is not exactly supporting the energy industry. And that narrative um, puts Canadian capital at a disadvantage. So you're not seeing foreign capital come into the country, foreign capital being U.S. or European. It doesn't mean to be, you know, Chinese or Indian or anything, but yeah, just not, just not, 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 not homegrown. <laughs> yeah. You're not seeing that capital come in to invest in energy companies and, um, mm that's a that's a disadvantage for us so and it comes down to things like we can't get pipelines built in this country so while we can produce the energy we can't export it we should be supplying china with natural gas it's the cleanest burning fuel we produce it to the highest environmental standards you can you know we have one lng project going in british columbia that will provide energy uh to china but like Right now, if you look at Tourmaline, which is a local company, they're going to produce natural gas in this basin. They are going to put it on a pipeline and they're going to send it down to Houston. And then they're going to put it on an LNG ship to send it over to Asia. That is the most inefficient pathway I can think of. But it's because we can't get those projects built in this country. And part of it's because the narrative is, you know, energy is bad. Hydrocarbons bad. We need to stop producing them. Mm. So, and not to turn political, nor, nor, nor am I. I consider myself a political refugee because when you live in Quebec, that's all you do is talk about politics. I moved to Alberta <laughs> 20 years ago. I was like, no one talks about it here. That's not the case anymore. But that was a nice break for a while. It wasn't the standard intro at the dinner table of what's happening with the French versus English government and all and all that politics. But until we get a change or until something shifts at that you know Ontario Ottawa Ottawa level, it feels like that's just the narrative that's going to get keep getting drawn out. I know we're turning this into a different podcast, but it's hard yeah, not to. Because no, I, no I, I tricked you into it. That's the whole thing here. Just so you know, <laughs> this is my agenda uh, all along. No, it was not. <laughs> I actually worry a little bit for Canadians that we're going to miss it. Um, we're going to miss the next cycle. These these projects are extremely capital intensive, and they take an extreme amount of time. And uh, you know, the cycles are short, so we probably have a three to five year window where I think you're going to see a lot of. Uh, LNG specific, let's stay to natural gas. I think it will be the energy transition fuel. I think you will see Australia and other jurisdictions build those and fill the global demand for it. And Canada may get left behind because we're just fighting too many government headwinds. Circling all the way back to these types of initiatives of engaging with our communities, it it helps tell a better story, but it's certainly not going to move the needle as much as maybe what it needs to be moved based on what you just said. Like it, that's because you're right. We need to, we, we're already late to the party. <laughs> like we're behind. Yeah, and, 
I think this helps tell the story, Tyler. Like one of the parts of it is, is, and I actually uh, blame us as an energy industry for letting the narrative get away from us. We didn't stand up mm, yep. 20 years ago. And, you know, um, there were some very specialized uh, groups that were determined to attack, which we, the oil sands, which they painted as the tar sands. And we didn't stand up and, and defend ourselves or brand or market our product. We didn't tell the Canadians that we produce the best product in the world. And you should demand from your government that you consume the product that's that's produced at home. So this type of initiative where we can, we got to change that perception. It's a branding and a marketing exercise. So look at the good that the Canadian industry does for your community. We provide employment. We provide the cleanest energy you can consume. And that's all part of it. So yeah, these sorts of charity initiatives and these um, collective initiatives that the energy undertake, it helps. It will help. It's just, again, it's it's slow, right? We've got to change the education and we've got to change the perception. No, you're 100% right. It's it's a it's a marketing and branding problem. And somebody took a, a, an anti-marketing approach to what we do here and no one was... You know, a friend of mine, um, which I'll remain unnamed, but he worked for one of the larger um, organizations, and he said, "You know, when you're when the, your opponents aren't hamstrung by reality, science, or the truth, he goes, it's really frustrating message to compete with." And uh, he was involved with a large pipeline association at the time, and I really appreciate that. It's always kind of stuck with me, and that's a little bit where we someone took the narrative away from us, and then it then we were back on our heels, and then it changes. Then you're not leading anymore; you just feels like you're responding and making excuses, which is you know whether it's accurate or not. <laughs> Yeah, you're not proactive and you're not, you've let the narrative get away from you and now you have to like try to convince people that that wasn't actually factually true. It's it's really tough. And it, and that is the, the biggest piece of, you know, that's just it. it. The energy industry is so bad. Well, no, it's not. And this is an evidence that we can point to. Look what we do. Like we think forward, we collectively work together and we're going to impact the next generation positively by providing the education that the government should be providing, but is too slow to get there. So we're going to do it. We're going to help do it for you. I, I appreciate that. So you mentioned campaign wise, back to getting the message out. You guys are starting with some social media. What's happening on the side of now? You're three, mil, you're three million in. You're starting into your down your road of three years. You got eighteen companies on board. Hopefully, more to come on because there's always the early adopters. There's the laggers, yeah. and then there's the oh, I guess this is a good idea because everyone else is doing it. That's just that's just human nature. What are you guys doing to really get this message out locally and then beyond, like on a bit of a bigger stage? So right now in the works is a event that Steve used to hold. It's called Classroom Chats. It was a, f a local fundraiser. So that's scheduled for mid-May right now. We'll be launching it. Um, you bring in some high-profile athletes and our sponsors will be invited to that. So the Classroom Chats this year will be a smaller fundraiser, more awareness on the type of curriculum, and then a celebration of what the energy did. So backing up from that, there'll be a a PR type push, uh, probably mid April when we start to advertise classroom chats, this celebration, um, we've put together a social media package to provide the oil and gas companies to help them be able to promote it internally to their staff and then externally on their messaging as well. We've created the hashtag, like I said, energize communities to try and, um, all again, collectively pool our money's economies of scale and then collectively pool our voices to tell the world, look what we actually do and we're contributing to our communities. So that's sort of the plan. So awesome. we're early in that. We're going to try and, like I said, wrap up all of the companies. That's the pressure, uh, the timeline, like please get your 
contribution or your commitment in by the end of March so that when we produce those materials and we start to do that PR media um, push, for lack of a better word, mm -hmm. that you're included in that and you get that benefit as well. Yeah, there, there's there. Well, I mean, we have to get a call, that, call to action in here somewhere. It's perfect. Yeah. <laughs> it's ongoing, but by the end of March, get your proverbial shit, shit together. Yeah. Um, so I want to get involved. I've heard about it. I haven't heard about it. Is there a website where do I go to Classroom Champions? Do I reach out to you? Like, we're going to get people jazzed up on this, on listening to this podcast. We want them to take an action afterwards. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Go to the website to Classroom Champions. I'm always available to um, Steve Messler has a website as well. He, the, again, I would encourage them to listen to your podcast with Steve, which was fantastic, which tells you how he got involved and where this idea came from. Um, him and his sister founded it. 10 years ago now. So there's lots of information out there. Um, Messler's M-E-S-L-E-R. So people can Google that as well. Nice. And what's the best way to get a hold of you? Is it LinkedIn? Is it email? Like what's your, LinkedIn what's, your, is, what's your preferred? LinkedIn is my preferred. I'm at the age now where, you know, I can only handle one social media platform. <laughs> it's like you have to scan. It's like you're flying a plane. You have to scan this dashboard of check Slack, check Asana, check your email, check your LinkedIn, and then yeah. check your friends who send you the off-color stuff on Instant Messenger. And da, da, da. <laughs> yeah, there's way too many communication platforms. So I am the most active on LinkedIn. I do, I do, follow, I do check my uh, messages there. So that would be the best format to get a hold of Fantastic. me. Fantastic. Jerry, huge high five and massive supporter of kind of what you're doing. I loved Classroom Champions and uh, talking about, you know, what they do fundamentally and the way they use athletes, active athletes to kind of create that connection. Because come on, I was six. I didn't have a good attention span, but an Olympic athlete, well, you're going to get my attention and, you know, setting the stage. And I love Steve's metaphor. You touched on it a little bit, like what it costs to do remedial on communications and social emotional learning when you're 40 and you're a staff member versus when you're six. It's pennies to tens of thousands i so actually just have the a math stat, of it tyler oh do you oh later yeah. so penn west uh the university of uh penn west i think it was and i'm probably it could be pennsylvania i should have checked that before i got on here <laughs> anyways a dollar invested today in these kids saves you eleven dollars in the future so that's the math and then the One other statistic hmm. that i really really like is that engagement from k-8 so like you said those athletes because those are the athletes that they're building in relationships relationships with engagement in those are a higher predictor of graduation than test scores. Oh, I love that. Oh, wait, boom. That was a mic drop moment right at the end. Yeah. It's, so this is, this is like I said, the, which is why I get so passionate about it because it just seems, and again, like I said before, I sit on a lot of other charity boards. They're mostly reactive. And by the time those kids get to us, the, the probability of changing their lives is really challenged. This one gets ahead of that trauma and helps them early on and puts them on a, a path that we would hopefully put those other charities and this sounds bad, but I'm a finance person out of business. They won't have any clients anymore. If we can teach all of our kids, this type of curriculum early on, we won't need as many of the other, uh, charities, you know, for mental health. No, it's powerful. I'm going to give a shout out as well. I do a lot of work with cups and Carlene Donnelly. Yes. I don't know if you know Carlene over there and what they do with their early childhood development program and the partnership they did with Harvard to like, this isn't just a feel good or someone thinks it's a good idea. This is factually based to show a, a tangible, like monumental difference in that individual. When you fast forward 10 or 15 years down to early adult or, or you know, for the rest of their life period. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And cups does great work. I completely agree with you. And their bit, their work is based on the same sort of philosophy and education that this is, this isn't dreamt up. This, this curriculum has been designed by researchers. There's data behind it that supports the fact that this is critical and has a path to success. Oh, I love it. Jerry, high fives, hugs, all the things. Love what you're doing. Love that we got it, that I, that I got to 
trick you to come on the show to talk about it. <laughs> got you to say yes. And uh, obviously, anything we can do to support to kind of get to get the word out there. Hopefully, this episode just makes it easy for people to get a bit more of a story. And I even got you on the oil and gas soapbox for a few minutes. I think this was a successful episode. <laughs> Thank you so much, Tyler. I very much appreciate it. You, you know, I'm a huge fan of the podcast. Even Thank before you. I actually met you, I was listening to YYC Collisions. So uh, great job. Really appreciate what you do for the community and bringing these sorts of issues out to the community. And uh, yeah, and I love sharing the office wall with your wife as well. She's a gem. <laughs> uh, it's, I love the small world we live in. Jerry, so, so good to chat. It was an absolute pleasure. Thank you. Thanks.